Dear fellow redeemed, we consider briefly, um, especially our reading from 1 Corinthians 11, but we'll start where John starts at the beginning of John 13. And as he begins, he says, Before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved those who were his own in the world, he loved them to the end. And sometimes the question comes up. It's come up often enough that I've got a file with like a bulletin insert on my computer explaining it. Why does Easter move around so much? Like Christmas is December 25th, Christmas Eve, the day before. If we were to celebrate um, Pentecost, it's always seven weeks after Easter, and Ascension is 40 days after Easter. We know when Epiphany is, but Easter, Easter isn't a date on a calendar. It moves around a little bit. Why is that? Well, the short answer is that yesterday evening, right around this time, started the festival of Passover. And Passover, um, you might recall, is that Jewish celebration that recalls the 10th plague of Egypt, where God delivered his people from the land of Egypt, from their slavery in Egypt, as he passed over their door frames marked with blood, and as he killed the Egyptians whose houses were not marked with blood. And so Passover was instituted by God as an annual remembrance of that grand deliverance. And so Passover follows the lunar calendar, which is 28 and a quarter days. And so it shifts around. There's like four weeks between about March 23rd and about April 15th, give or take, that Easter can be based on Passover. Or if you want the short version of it, Passover, well, Easter is the first Sunday after the first full moon after the spring equinox. If that made sense at all. That's why I have a bulletin insert about it. And so John records for us that Passover began. And having loved those who were his own in the world, he loved them to the end. And just shortly before this, the other gospel writers tell us that Jesus had picked out and chosen a couple of his disciples and said, go to the, the town ahead of you and you will meet a man there carrying a jar of water and you follow him and he'll show you to a room in an upper room of a house and you can make preparations for us to eat the Passover there. And yesterday about this time, right around sundown, um, was the beginning of Passover. And so historically, between yesterday at sundown and today in about 20 minutes, would be the time when the Jewish people had to slaughter the lambs for the Passover. And so when Jesus told his disciples to go and follow that man carrying the jar of water, he does that knowing that Judas is listening. Judas is right there. And Jesus doesn't say, go to 123 Main Street, and that'll be the place. Because Jesus doesn't want them interrupting this last meal that he has with his disciples. It's kind of the equivalent of Jesus saying, well, take the highway south of town, and when you come to the first stoplight, you'll see a green car in front of you. Follow that green car until they pull into their driveway, and then you pull in behind them, and that'll be the place. It's simple enough for them to find the house, and yet obscure enough so that Judas can't interrupt anything. Having loved those to his end, he, having loved those who were his own, he loved them to the end. 
And as they file into that upper room, with the remnants of the conversation still smoldering between them, the remnants of the argument, who is the greatest in the kingdom of God? Who gets to sit at the right and at the left? Well, you didn't walk on water, I did. Well, you weren't willing to go to Jerusalem and die with Jesus like I did, says the pessimist Thomas. And they walk in, feet dusty from the day. And they walk past the basin. They notice, well, there's no slave here, no servant here. All right, guess I'll just sit down. And as they gather on the table, having loved those who were his very own, he loved them to the end. Jesus gets up and wraps the towel around himself and works his way around. As each of the disciples thought to themselves, well, that's not for me, and have you seen um, John's feet after a long day of walking? I don't want to do that. Jesus demonstrates his love for his disciples as he gets up and he washes his feet in a new sort of way. He goes on to say, and this is the, where we get the word Maundy Thursday, a new command I give to you, love one another. Not new, as if it's never been said before, but new, because it's now for a new reason. As people who have been washed by the Savior. And as he goes around, you can almost see it, that the disciples are visibly uncomfortable. Jesus had all the other details pulled together, except for this one they can see that the disciples become more and more agitated. And finally, Peter is the one who speaks up. No, don't wash my feet. I'll take care of it. And Jesus dunks his foot and dries it off. Moves on to Judas. Knowing exactly what Judas has in mind and what the next few hours will entail. And he sits down and he says, do you realize what I've done for you? That in his serving them, Jesus demonstrated exactly who he was. He demonstrated that he had taken on this form of a servant where he had refrained from using his divine power for his own good. That he who has all authority in heaven and on earth instead took on the form of a servant. And being in very nature God, he consigned himself to death on a cross. That image is an image of how Jesus serves you and how Jesus served his disciples. That image is an exact image of the same thing that we had a little bit earlier from that Exodus reading. After the, the, the law had been given and after the Israelites had been brought there to Mount Sinai and God brought them up to eat with him in this fellowship meal. And in order to prepare them, to have a meal with him, he washed them in the blood of the covenant, in the blood of his promise to them, whereby they would be welcomed into his presence. And even the way that Moses records it, they go up there, these 70 elders, and Nadab and Abihu, Moses and Aaron, and Moses is like, we should see it. That's uh, verses 9 and 10. And they get up to Mount Sinai, and they're eating with God, and Moses is like, he can't get past the pavement. It is so overwhelming. All he can say is, you should see the flooring in heaven to say nothing else of this experience of eating with God. And sometimes that question comes up for you and for me. That maybe, just maybe, I understand 
um, what Jesus is doing here. I understand as somebody who is removed in distance over 4,000 miles away, I understand as somebody who's moved in time, removed in time over 2,000 years away, and I understand that Jesus washed his disciples' feet and that he served them. I understand that Jesus called them together and gathered them around his table. And he said, take me, this is my body. But that seems so far distant in time and in space that I haven't seen the miracle of Jesus. I haven't benefited from a miracle of Jesus. Jesus didn't wash your feet when he walked in here today. He, Pastor Hagen didn't even wash your feet as he came in here today. And he probably didn't wash your feet earlier today either. That you and I were not standing there when he fed the 5,000. You and I were not standing there to see the paralytic get up off of his mat and carry it home with him. That you and I were not gathered around that table to hear Jesus explain again that this lamb was foreshadowing him. That you and I weren't gathered around that table to be served by Jesus washing our feet or being fed with his promise. Take and eat. Take and drink. Do this in remembrance of me. And it feels like, and it's definitely possible, that Christians might even think, I am so far removed that maybe things would be a little bit different if I had been there. That maybe my life and my understanding of my Christian faith would be different if Jesus had been here. As if to say, this Jesus who takes on the form of a servant is far removed from you or I. As if to say, that our annual celebration of Holy Week and Easter is simply a recollection of events, a recitation of history, but that's it. But look at what John says. And look at the way that, um, that Paul describes it for us. John says, Having loved those who were his own in the world, he loved them to the end. And the way Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians 11, he says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. That what Paul is saying is that Jesus still serves his people. And that what John is echoing for us in verse 1 of John chapter 13 is that having loved those who were his own in the world, Jesus loved them to the very end. And if we were to simply read this as an historical account, separate from us in space and time, then we would be missing the point. That when John says, having loved those who were his own in the world, he loved them to the end, he's talking about you. You can put your own name right there in John 13, verse 1. Having loved you in this world, who are called out as people who are separate from this world, called out to live a life and set apart as people who are holy in this world. Jesus loved them to the end. And consider for a moment how Paul highlights that this Jesus still serves you and me, that this Jesus still serves you and me with that same promise. Paul says in verse 24, do this in remembrance of me. And when we get to those words of institution, that's what the first part says. That first part, um, which you see actually on the next page, 
Our Lord Jesus Christ, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, recalling the time, the place, the setting, the evening. And then, right after that, what he said, Take and eat this in my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The promise of Jesus, whereby he makes himself present here in order to serve you. And he makes himself present here in the exact same way that God um, served the elders of Israel there in Exodus chapter 24, where he was the one who washed them, who brought them into his presence, and then fed them in a fellowship meal. Not just a, a snack to tide them over, but a meal that demonstrated the relationship, the fellowship that he would share with them. That's the exact same thing that Jesus does in this new covenant, in his blood of the new covenant. He makes you ready to come into his presence. And as we recall the setting, we do this in remembrance of him. By his promise in his words, he is present exactly as he said. When he says, this is my body, which is for you, do this in remembrance of me. And when he says that, and the exact same thing that we have uh, continuing in 1 Corinthians 11, <clears throat> verse 25, in the same way after meal, he also took the cup, saying, this cup is the New Testament in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. That promise, again, that Christ is here to serve his people. And the variation in, in the wording here, covenant and testament, it's kind of like the bookends to the Christian life. The covenant idea that God is the one who sprinkles you with his blood and seals you with his promise of forgiveness. That God is the one who makes you holy to enter his presence. And then that Jesus calls it his last will and testament. That the Son of God is very serious and particular in choosing his words here so that there's no wondering and there's no worrying as if to say that Jesus doesn't know what he's talking about. He's being very clear in, these last, in his last will and testament that in this meal, he establishes and creates a fellowship with you. That the Jesus we read about in John 13 and the Jesus we hear about in 1 Corinthians 11 isn't a Jesus who is far away, but he is a Jesus who still serves his people today. Having loved those who were his own he loved in the world, he loved them to the end that that includes you. And so Jesus still gathers his people around his table today, much like he did in that upper room. Now the interesting thing about the Lord's Supper here, and as we have it, um, that the Lord's Supper is recorded in Matthew, Mark, Luke, the three synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and then 1 Corinthians. John doesn't mention it at all. He mentions the washing of the feet. We hear that all the disciples have their feet washed, including Judas. But we don't know when in the timeline Judas leaves. Does he leave before communion or after? Sometimes that question comes up too. Well, was Judas there? And as if to say, uh, the fact that Jesus knew Judas would betray him. And if Judas was there, then we should have the same practice of just communing anybody that comes in. But what we have is that Jesus follows the exact same practice that we even follow today. That if Judas were there, and we don't know if he was or not, but if he were, that his confession of faith was that he was united in faith with them. His confession of faith was that he believed in this Jesus and that he was there to receive this sacrament exactly as he had been instructed over the last three years. 
And so in that sense, you know, was Judas there or not, is kind of an irrelevant question. And it's one that distracts from the main point. But the main point is these words of Jesus, whereby he makes himself present again for each communicant to be received by mouth, under the bread and the wine, in a body way and in a bloody way, for the forgiveness of sins. Where Jesus isn't just far off in time and space, but Jesus is here with his people, doing the exact same thing that he has done throughout history, as we saw in our first reading, using his blood to establish a relationship, using his blood to cleanse people and bring them into his presence, and by his promise, by these words, reassuring Christians that he is here exactly as he said. And so John writes, what would it be? It's 2023. So 10 years short of 2,000 years. So 1,990 years ago on this night, 1,990 years ago on this night, having loved those who were his own in the world, Jesus loved them to the end. And he loved them by washing their feet, demonstrating a love that was beyond their, their normal conception. Having loved those who were in his own in the world, he loved them to the end. And he did so by giving them his own body and blood for the forgiveness of sins. And that that promise is something that our foot-washing Savior still carries out for you and for me today. Having loved those and continuing to love those who are his own in this world, he continues to love them to the very end. The very end of this world. Where he says, dear Christian, here's the setting, here's the place. On the night where he was betrayed, Jesus took bread. And here's the promise. Take and eat, this is my body. Take and eat, this is my blood, given and shed for you. Amen.